Flatiron School is an international coding boot camp that changes lives through education. One of its strengths is its focus on teacher quality. Its teacher training team has experts in both pedagogy and content knowledge who ensure our students receive the best educational experiences possible. This is the podcast of the Flatiron School teacher training team. Hi folks, it's Sean. I'm the director of teacher training at Flatiron. Today we're going to be talking about intentional learning. We're going to make friends with your brain. Hi brain. Learning is very intentional. At least good learning is. You can learn things by accident, but if you want to learn things effectively, you want to use what we know about neuroscience and educational research in order to make really good decisions and very intentional decisions about how and what you learn. Hence the title of this podcast, Intentional Learning. I'm going to talk about a couple things that definitely detract from learning experiences, and then we're going to go into some tips that should help improve the learning experiences that you create as a teacher or as a student. This is actually very relevant to students. The first thing I want to discuss is stress. Stress has a negative effect on learning. That's not to say that stress is not a motivator. Stress is definitely a motivator. If you are concerned about getting a poor grade, you're going to try to get a better grade. However, what stress does is it shuts down the prefrontal cortex of the brain. So the frontal lobe of your brain is responsible for executive function and reasoning. And when you encounter a stressful situation, the amygdala is activated. That's a very small, very primitive part of your brain. And what the amygdala does is it reduces cognitive function in the prefrontal cortex, and it activates the brain's fight-or-flight response. And this is great if you're being chased by a bear. This is less great if you're trying to use high-level brain function. You need the prefrontal cortex for that. So why do I bring this up? Well, for one thing, it's important to consider stress in assessments. And the reason you want to consider stress in assessments is because the question that you should be considering is, what are you measuring? What are you intending to measure? Are you intending to measure performance under stress? Or are you intending to just measure performance? If you want an accurate read on what somebody knows, Testing them in a stressful situation is not the best way to get that answer. If you want an accurate read on how well somebody performs under stress based on what they know, then actually testing them under stress does make sense. So the first thing to do is just to consider the fact that stress reduces the capacity for learning and it reduces the capacity for executive function. So you learn less when you're stressed and you function at a lower level of cognition when you're stressed. So knowing that stress reduces performance, you may want to build anonymity into learning exercises in order to reduce the fear of failure. Or you might want to incorporate moderate levels of stress into your assessments because that can help you gauge and improve your students' performance under pressure. What you don't want to do is just go along with the way that you've always been tested and assume that every assessment experience should be stressful. It doesn't have to be. The second area I want to talk about is multitasking. Multitasking doesn't work. 
Multitasking feels good to the person who's doing it because they feel very active and because the brain releases a chemical called dopamine that makes them feel good. Dopamine is the pleasure chemical in the brain. So number one, the brain craves distraction. Number two, the brain cannot process two simultaneous streams of similar information. This is different from walking and chewing gum. This is like typing an email and conducting a conversation. So have you ever been on the phone with a friend or a parent and you're trying to simultaneously type an email and carry on a conversation? And you know that there are moments where that person is completely aware of what you're doing because they can tell that you have tuned out of the conversation. Same thing happens when you're on a call and you're conducting instant messaging at the same time in the background. Because you're trying to process two simultaneous streams of similar information, meaning both have to do with language processing, your brain can't handle it. Therefore, in order to learn effectively, we must reduce distraction. So first of all, watching reruns on a television while learning just doesn't work. You can probably get some of it done, and you can probably digest some of what the TV is showing you, but what's really happening is that you're task switching. You're going between the learning and the TV, and the learning and the TV. You're not absorbing both at once. Your brain focuses on one or the other and then switches back and forth. And there's actually a loss in productivity. And in addition to that reduction in efficiency, there's also typically a reduction in the quality of work. Because when you don't focus, your work is not as strong. And what research has found is that while some people are able to produce the same quality of work while multitasking, and multitasking here is in air quotes, task switching is what they're actually doing. So while they're able to produce the same quality of work, the efficiency at which they produce it suffers. So that if they had done one thing and then the other, they would have completed everything faster than doing both at once. So what do we do with this information? Well, you can design learning experiences that account for these limitations in your brain within a class period or an interaction with students. For example, taking breaks. It's very difficult for the brain to focus for 60 minutes straight, but you can definitely focus for 20, and you can probably focus for 30. And so giving a stand and stretch break is a great practice as a teacher. 20 or 30 minutes into the class, you say to your class, okay, everybody hands off the keyboard, put everything down on the desk, and everybody stand up and stretch. And the reason that you do that and you don't just say stretch in your seat is because you actually really want them to look away from the computer. Because when you look away from the thing that you're working on and then look back, just the act of looking away and looking back is enough to reset your brain somewhat. So a stand and stretch break looks like this. You say to the class, okay, everybody put your stuff down, take your hands off your keyboard, stand up and stretch for 15 seconds. And then at 15 seconds, you say, okay, Everybody sit down, we're back to work. You've lost 15 seconds of your session in favor of dramatically improved focus for the rest of it. Another way that you can address multitasking is by varying learning modalities. So it's similar to the idea of a break. You're changing dramatically what you're doing in class. You're going from listening to a lecture to talking with a peer. That's a moment for your brain to reset. 
Now, I don't want you to take this as me saying varying learning modalities equals learning styles. The notion of learning styles, at least the way that it's typically considered, is that people are a certain type of learner, an auditory learner, a kinesthetic learner. That has been debunked, and it's actually been misrepresented. Howard Gardner did not intend for learning styles to be seen that way. However, you can use the notion of learning styles to inform what you do in the class. By knowing that some people prefer auditory learning, you can build learning experiences that target those styles. And that's not to say that it's because the student is only capable of learning in that style. It's to say that it's because it's actually very important for the brain to learn in different styles. So we've talked about stress and its effect on both learning and performance. And we've talked about multitasking and how it just doesn't work. And so now let's do a self-check. So if you've listened to the rest of this series, you know that I like to pause and ask you to reflect. And I'll actually be talking about metacognitive thought a little bit later on here. But I do that because the notion of constructivism is that knowledge is constructed in the mind of the learner. Constructivism is the most prevalent theory of learning that we have today. And so building a constructivist learning experience means asking the learner to interact. And if you go back and listen to the podcast I did on active learning, you'll hear a bit more detail on this. But in order to make this constructive, I like to ask questions and have you try to answer them. So as I ask these questions, pause the recording and try to give an answer in your head or out loud if you don't mind the weird looks. And then I'll move on to the next question and give you another chance to answer. So the first question in our self-check is, how and why does stress affect assessment? Pause the recording, give that some thought. The second question is, how might you structure an upcoming lesson to create the best possible learning experience for your students? Pause the recording, give that some thought. Hopefully you've actually thought these through and given some answers. I'm not going to answer these things. If you're interested in the answers, just jump back in the recording. You can play it back a little bit. Instead of that, I'm going to move on to some brain tricks, things that will foster intentional learning. And I'm going to talk about a few brain tricks that you can use in your class or your student interactions. And then I'm also going to talk about brain tricks that are really useful for your students to know and that you should actually teach to your students. The first of these is the primacy-recency effect. The primacy-recency effect says that the best learning, and in particular retention, happens at the beginning and at the end of a class. And so knowing that, you want to design your lessons to begin with the most important concepts to be learned. So you want your lessons to start by setting the stage for why you're learning what you're learning, for framing the concepts, for creating the desire to learn, and then hopefully for giving some of the key information that will be used later on to make sense of the concepts that your students are using in class. This also means that beginning a class session with a review of last night's homework is probably not the most effective use of class time. So remember, I said the beginning and end are the most effective moments for learning. That's not to say that the middle portion of the class is a waste of time and you should just play video games. 
but it means there should be a sequence, very intentionally designed, that begins with the most important concepts to be learned in your class, sets the stage for those things, establishes the reason for learning, and then moves into time in the middle to actually wrestle with those concepts and make sense of them, and then ends by pulling together the learning from the lesson, some sort of recap or reflection on it. And speaking of recap or reflection, metacognition is another brain trick that fosters intentional learning, and you should promote this in your class. Metacognition basically just means reflective thought, thinking about thinking. And you should build opportunities for reflection or for metacognition into your learning experiences. So perhaps your students have worked with a concept, they've talked with a neighbor, they've tried out the thing in class, you've come back at the end of class, and they now are able to pull the information together. Give them some time to reflect on what they've learned. That actually helps cement the learning in the brain. So there's a concept of an exit ticket, where before you leave class you have to write down the answer to something. It could be one thing you've learned, or it could be an actual answer to a question but it's your ticket out of the classroom and you have to answer it. Doing something like this promotes active, reflective thought. So those are a few brain tricks that you can use in your class or in your interactions with students. There are also brain tricks that you should teach your students. For example, spaced repetition with deliberate practice. Spaced repetition is the idea of spiraling a learning experience, coming back to concepts. So you learn something, you stop working with it for a little bit. You learn it again, you stop working with it for a little bit. And then as you keep coming back to it, each of those interactions with the concept strengthens your understanding. Deliberate practice means focusing on the specific thing that you need to learn. So I'll use an example of my daughter who has recently been learning math concepts, math facts, just multiplication tables division tables, things that you just have to memorize in order for the rest of math to make a lot more sense. I've taught her spaced repetition and deliberate practice. So the way that she learns her flashcards is she'll sit down with them for five to ten minutes and she'll just memorize, memorize, memorize. Three times four is twelve. Three times four is twelve, right? Just memorize the answers. And then she'll test herself on them. She'll hold up a flashcard, what's three times six? and then she'll have to give the answer. And if she can't give the answer, she pulls that card out and puts it down. And so by the time she's gone through this a few times, she's got them fairly well memorized. She's recognized the ones that she couldn't remember. She's practiced those. And then she puts it aside for a while, meaning like a day or more. The actual most effective time period for spaced repetition is a week. That's not realistic for a program like ours, our boot camp. <laughs> you can't just wait a week. But the longer you go and the more you forget, the better spaced repetition works. Because you've built those connections in your neurons, and now you're reinforcing them. So my daughter comes back to her flashcards the next day. She doesn't get to wait a week. She comes back the next day and she practices and she tests herself. What's 3 times 5? What's 3 times 7? And if she can get it right, great. If she gets it wrong, she puts it to the side. And then she goes and does the deliberate practice portion. The deliberate practice portion is focusing on just the very specific thing that you need to learn. And so she does that, and then she tests herself again, she puts it away, and she waits till the next day. And in a very short time, I saw her improve dramatically at math. She has the rote memory of the math facts. 
and she's now able to start applying them. And that came because she used space repetition and deliberate practice. So that was one brain trick that you can teach your students. And you should teach them deliberate practice and spaced repetition. This is by far the best way to actually memorize things. Cramming the night before a test, just not as effective. A second brain trick to teach your students is to turn off notifications. Turn off the notifiers on your phone. Turn off the notifiers on your computer. Don't have those things popping up. Because we talked about multitasking and the switching cost. Well, that's what you're doing. Anytime you look over to see that notifier, you're mentally switching. And there's a cost to efficiency. So turn off the notifiers. It'll help dramatically with focus. And another brain trick to teach your students is to use an interval timer method for learning. So there's interval workouts, right? You work out for a certain amount of time, maybe it's 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever, and then you wait for a certain amount of time, 60 seconds to recover, and then you do it again, and then you wait, and then you do it again. The same thing can be applied to learning. So there's one very famous example of an interval method, the Pomodoro method. It's Italian for tomato because they used a tomato timer. And the idea was that you would set 25 minutes on your tomato timer, and that was the time that you needed to focus on the thing that you were working on. And so you'd set your timer, and you'd do nothing else for 25 minutes. And then at the end of 25 minutes, when that timer rang, you would reset it to 5 minutes, and you would do something completely different. You'd give yourself a break. No matter where you were in the task, you would stop, find a good ending point if you can, but you would stop, you would go and do something else. And then after five minutes when your timer rang, you'd set it back to 25 and keep going. There's digital versions of this that you can download. You can use a tomato timer. You can use any timer. The point is that you're giving yourself a finite amount of time to focus. You say, I'm going to get 25 minutes of this paper written. Anyone can do that. And then you have a light at the end of the tunnel. In 25 minutes, I get my reward. So I can ignore those notifiers. I can turn them off for 25 minutes because I know that at the end of 25 minutes I can turn them back on. This is a highly effective method for focus and productivity. And it's using what we know about the brain. The brain cannot multitask. It is incapable of multitasking, no matter what you tell yourself. And by the way, the people who tell themselves that they're great multitaskers are typically worse at it than people who don't think that. So if you think that you're a great multitasker, you're probably not. And so using these methods, like the Pomodoro method or spaced repetition or the primacy recency effect, using this intentionality in building learning experiences can create much more powerful and much more memorable and much more understandable learning experiences for your students. We're going to put in one moment of metacognitive thought at the end here, and that's to ask you to pause your recording again and think about what is one of these things that sounds very relevant to your class that you will try tomorrow. Pause the recording, think about that for a second. Okay, I hope you came up with something great. I wish you luck in trying it out. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great day. Bye.